0: You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Lansman. Our text this morning comes from Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to read the first six verses. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, and they said to him, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all of the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Put a pin here in this text. Because brothers and sisters, we're going to come back to it in just a few minutes. So in the 1980s, some of you may know this, there was a song covered by a band called Soft Cell. And the lyrics, which I'm not going to sing for you, (laughs) went like this. Sometimes I feel like I've got to run away. I've got to get away from the pain you drive into the heart of me. The love we share seems to go nowhere. And at the end of the chorus, if you know the song, which I'm sure many of you do, is Tainted Love. Tainted Love, which is the title of the sermon today. These lyrics are poignant. Poignant. And they're relevant to what we're going to be talking about today. And last week, if you remember, we began to ask some hard questions about ourselves as a church. We started to shift our focus from asking questions like, why don't people come to church anymore? Or, why don't people give anymore? Or, why don't people volunteer for committees anymore? Or, why do young people not want to come to church? And we talked about starting to shift the way we ask those questions into something more like this. Why should people come to church? Why should people give? Why should young people want to come? Why should somebody want to volunteer for a committee? And we started to ask sort of these macro questions, like these wide-angle questions. But before we can answer those wide-angle questions, we kind of got to ask micro-questions. We have to take a look at ourselves as individuals before we look at ourselves assembled together as the body of Christ. So we can ask ourselves, why are we here? Why do we come to church? As a social obligation? As a religious obligation? To get my needs met? You know, it's not a checklist, right? I remember I went to somebody's house the other day and they had this refrigerator with this kind of built-in screen which like talks to your phone and you can write checklists of groceries. So when you're out shopping, if you forgot, you can just whip out your phone and your refrigerator talks to your phone and your phone talks to your refrigerator. Your refrigerator will actually remind you what it is that you need to buy. So maybe some of us have this refrigerator and we have the little box. Go to church. Checkmark. mark. Given the offering. Checkmark. There it is. My responsibilities, my obligations are done. I can check off that box and get on with the rest of my day or the rest of my week. Why are we here? And then oftentimes, after we come to service, we begin then to talk to each other about the service. We then ask, how do we decide if we even like the service after the service is over? You might hear people say, I didn't like the music. You might hear some people say, I did like the music. You might hear some people say, the choir was so-so. There was that one person singing kind of flat. Or another person might say, the choir sang beautifully today. The pastor's tie was really ugly. I wish he wouldn't wear that bow tie anymore. The sermon was terrible. The sermon was too long. The sermon was too long. shorts (laughs) how we judge brothers and sisters a service is I think reflective of our hearts we're all going to respond in different ways to different parts of the service and some moments will seem to have more meaning than others but I think we need a little bit of a shift I remember a few years ago, I have a priest friend named Father Anthony, and I asked him how his Sunday service went. Because if you're a clergy, you are friends with other clergy. You know, even before the service, I was in conversation with two other friends who are pastors in this area, and we encourage each other and text each other, "Hey, God bless you today's your services." Uh, make much of Jesus at your service. Pray and all goes well. We encourage each other. And if you're a clergyman or a clergy person, you will have this network. And so one of the good friends of mine is, I uh, think he's a priest. And so I asked him one Sunday a few years ago, I said, Hey, how are your services today? And he said, It was great. I'm like, right on. He had me right there, right? It was great. Well, his, one of his words is fantastic. right? So he probably said fantastic. And I was like, I was like I'm in. I'm here to, I, I want to hear how, what happened. I want to hear the rest of this. And he said, it was great. The Holy Spirit came down. He transformed the bread and wine to the body and the blood of Christ. And we all shared it together. <laughs> that answer... Was a paradigm shift for me. Now you have to remember, at the time I asked him that, my background was in non denominational Christianity. And in non denominational churches, we can be very mercenary about worship. And we would judge services, and how we would judge the services would focus more on how we liked the sermon or the music or the decor, or the graphics, or the availability of programs. I remember I went to one church that was so big that their bulletin, and I'm not exaggerating here, was a newspaper. I'm not lying. It was a newspaper with classifieds and with groups. The science group meets here. This group meets there. It was so big, and they offered so much. It was a newspaper. It was great. There was literally something for everyone to do. Yeah, you know, we judge services based on, or churches and services based on these things, rather than what the service is actually supposed to do, what the point of the service is. And I think, brothers and sisters, the church in our era is structured largely to facilitate people coming to a decision point. People come to church to be offered a choice. Jesus and salvation, or rejection of Jesus and eternal damnation, right? So, we come to church and we hear an appeal. We make an appeal. And oftentimes, with this type of service, there's lights and there's music and there's sound, try to create an atmosphere, right, where people will be receptive to receiving Jesus. And it said that this is what churches should do in order to grow. And this sort of approach was pioneered by people who believed that if you use certain measures, you could elicit emotional and spiritual crises, which would then drive a person to a decision point. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't say Pastor Mike said we shouldn't make people say yes or no for following Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with appeals for placing trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. But the paradigm of trying to look as little like a church as possible in order to make people comfortable has a very short history. And any attempt to move a person from information to transformation, I think we place the primary burden on style over substance of Christian worship. And as such, these methods only really engage us at a certain rational level. If that style then is problematic, then how do we how do we answer it? How do we challenge the paradigm of newness, of the attempt to try and be on the cutting edge of what is cool or culturally trendy? Let me tell you something brothers and sisters. I've been a Christian a long time and I've been in big churches and small churches. Whenever a church tries to be cool, they fail. <laughs> Most of the time. It's very rare where I've seen a cool church. Most of the time when we try to be cool or culturally trendy, we fail. So we challenge this paradigm by rejecting it and seeing if there's better ways of what it means to come to church and how to become a faithful and fruitful disciple of Jesus. Because church shouldn't be so much about a decision point as it should be about training us to be disciples of of Jesus Christ. Remember the Great Commission, go in all the world and make disciples. So now we kind of take a wide angle view where do we begin? Like I said earlier, as individual members of the body. There's a Christian philosopher named James K.A. Smith, and he says in one of his books that this initial question about discipleship comes from Jesus himself, from John 138 where Jesus asks them, What do you want? What do you want? He says that this question is the first and last question of Christian discipleship. And related to this is then, Come, follow me. So, brothers and sisters... Our answer to the first question, what do you want, then tells us a lot. It shows us our longings, it shows us our hearts, it shows us what motivates us to do the things that we do. In other words, he says it shows us what we love. What we love. The modern world has essentially reduced things to the mere rational. But we have a non-rational religion. When writing this, I couldn't help but thinking of the character of Spock on Star Trek. And I know that there's somebody going to be nerdier than me who's going to listen to this and then email me a correction about what I'm about to say. Well, actually, blah, 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 blah. But Spock, he's a Vulcan. And Vulcans organize their lives around logic, right? Logic. But the one thing that Spock struggles with the most is he's half human. And therefore, he's a feeling creature. And so a lot of the tension in his uh, story is he battles with his duality. Logic versus emotion. Logic versus emotion. Smith notes that the way we structure Christian discipleship and worship is something that we learn cognitively through purely rational means. But he makes the point that we're not merely rational Thinking beings. Genesis says in the creation account God breathed into us the breath of life, and man became a nephesh, a living soul. We are not just thinking beings, we are feeling beings, we are experiential beings. We've been created to share in the life of God, and we're formed by what we desire not necessarily by what we think we desire. Again, Smith notes, you are what you love because you live towards what you want. So in other words, what he's saying is what we love orients us towards a certain end or a certain goal. C.S. Lewis once wrote, and this is one of my favorite quotes that he that he said, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the kind of creature is the one kind of creature is heaven, that is joy, peace, knowledge, and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Now, what Lewis doesn't mention here is that oftentimes the part of us that makes those choices that turn us towards a heaven or hellish, turns us as creatures towards the heavenly or towards the hellish, is not part of a rational thought process but are oftentimes just subconscious choices. And these choices, brothers and sisters, are the result of the practices and habits that have shaped us as human beings. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been... Sometimes when we make choices, we sit there and think, okay, here's the pros, here are the cons, I'm going to choose between the two, and I'll come and I'll look at all these things and I'll make a decision. Oftentimes, though, don't you see that there's sometimes when you are encountered, something encounters you, or there's something, a choice that you have to make, you make the choice instantly? That comes at a subconscious level. And so, what Christian philosophers like Smith say is that we have been formed by our habits and practices to respond that way, to make these choices, not at a mental, rational level, but an internal Level. Love is shaped by our habits. And the habits we cultivate channel our actions towards that love. Let's look again at the story I opened with from Exodus 32, 1 through 6. We looked at the children of Israel in that portion. And we asked ourselves, how could they have done this? How could they have done this? God sent Moses. God delivered them from Egypt with with mighty signs and wonders. But we have to remember, brothers and sisters, and we have to ask the question what shaped their lives and their desires? What shaped their lives and their desires occurred under slavery? They were slaves to the Egyptians think about it right Moses is called by God he comes to the children of Israel he delivers them from Egypt he takes them through the waters of the Red Sea and he leads them to the mountain of God that's a picture too right of salvation Jesus takes us from that captivity to sin and to death and he leads us through the water of baptism The imagery is crystal clear in Scripture, right? He leads us through the cleansing water of baptism into new life where we're free from sin and death. But imagine how much the children of Israel had to change their hearts due to the fact they went from completely enslaved to freedom. To freedom. And when Aaron makes the idol, he doesn't just decide to make a calf, because, okay, well, that's the only thing I can come up with. A calf was was a popular representation of a particular deity of that area. It was something that they knew. So their habits and practices of the heart were malformed. And so what we see in the Exodus, what we see is God dealing with the children of Israel, giving them the Torah, giving them the law to help them then learn new habits and practices that will shift their love to God away from the cultural practices of Egypt. Smith notes, all kinds of cultural rhythms and routines are in fact rituals. That function as pedagogies or teachers of desire because they tacitly and covertly train us. If you are what you love, and if your loves are formed and aimed by your immersion in practices and cultural rituals, then such practices shape who you are. And like the song I referenced earlier, our loves are tainted. Our loves are tainted because our loves are shaped by what he calls liturgies. The liturgy of the world. The liturgy of our culture. These rival liturgies that are in need of healing and in need of redirection. And that is why we are here, brothers and sisters. Because what we love is what we worship. And we're here to learn how to worship. We are learned to redirect our love that have been shaped by the liturgies of the world to the liturgy of the kingdom of God. So ask yourself this week, this is your homework, <laughs> ask yourself, what do I love? And then ask yourself, how does what I love affect the shape of my life? And then ask yourself, how does what I love affect my worship of God? How does what I love effect my worship of God. And as our loves are redirected, we can learn then to do what St. Paul tells us to do in the reading that we heard this morning from Philippians. Those things that are true, those things that are good, those things that are noble, those things that are excellent, those things that are praiseworthy. Think on these things. Because we are here to train ourselves to direct our hearts and our lives towards God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to whom is due all glory, honor and worship Amen Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ We're located in beautiful Northampton, Pennsylvania and we'd love for you to come worship with us You can find us on the internet www.zionstoneucc.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Science Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.